we were studying in the book of what? Ecclesiastes. Tonight we're going on to the next book of the Bible, um, which is called Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. And um, it's classified along with the books of wisdom in the Bible, but it, because it does contain wisdom. And uh, the, song of, the Song of Solomon is full of a lot. Say a lot. There's a lot in the book of Solomon. The Lord is trying to say several things to us in this one book of the Bible. And uh, so tonight I want us to, to look at it with the thought in mind that God wants us to see several things in one place. How many things? He wants us to see several things in one place. He wants us to get several understandings through this one book of the Bible. Okay, so since it's called the Song of Solomon, who do you suppose wrote it? Solomon. King Solomon is the writer of this, of this particular book of the Bible. Now, it was originally not written to be a book. It was written as a song. It was written as a what? It was written as a song. And many times it was performed like it was a play, like a five-act play. Act one, act two, act three, act four, act five. So it was to be sung that it was to be sung like that, and it was kind of written like an opera. How many of you ever heard opera? Okay, and what is a, an opera is a story set to music. So the Song of Solomon is a story set to music. How many understand? Okay, so it was written. It was originally designed to be a song. Now when we studied. Ecclesiastes, and even before when we were studying the book of Kings, we learned that King Solomon was a multifaceted person. What does multifaceted mean? He could do a lot of things, a lot of different things. And he could do multifaceted means many different sides. He had many different sides to his personality. How many of you just have one side to your personality? No hands, because we all have many sides to our personality. And so that's what we saw as we've been studying the life of King Solomon, that his personality had many sides. So one of the sides of his personality was musician, okay? Uh, was, he, was he a smart person? Yes, he was. He was a genius because he could do many, many things well. Most of us have a few things we can do really well, but it was almost nothing that he attempted to do that he did not do exceedingly well, okay? So he was gifted and talented, okay? He was gifted and talented. And one of the talents that he has had was uh, a musical gift, which he got from where? His father. His father, who was his father? David, who was a musician too, right? Yes, musical gifts can sometimes transfer, amen, through the genes. So this was written as a song, um, and it was kind of like an operetta. Sometimes it was performed in five acts, and it had characters uh, in this song, in this play. 
Uh, the number, number one character was the groom. The number two character was the bride. Um, and there were uh, brothers, there, there's some brothers in this story, and there were um, so a chorus. So when it was performed, there would be somebody playing the lead role of Solomon, somebody that's playing the role of the bride, who in, the, in, this, in this book of the Bible, she's called the Shulamite woman, though she's the bride. Um, and then there are her brothers um, that don't want her to be with the king. Um, and, and then there's the chorus, the people who did the fill-in singing when it was performed. Is this making sense? Okay. So let's first... Um, go back to 1 Kings. Let me see. Because I want to just show you the progression here and how all this fits together. 1 Kings, let's go to chapter 3. 1 Kings. If I'm in the wrong place, I'm going to change, all right? Y'all gonna be all right with that, right? Good. Ah, I'm in there. Okay, good. Because this is Bible study, right? So when you study, sometimes you don't turn to the right page, you be on the wrong page, and then you gotta change and get where you, where you need to be. All right? So let me see if I'm where I want to be. First Kings chapter four. Okay, are you at First Kings chapter four? Yes. All right, let's go to, so we're going to be doing some skipping around. Are you, are you good with that? Okay, all right, all right. First Kings chapter 4, verse 1 says, So King Solomon was king over what? Over all Israel. Okay, all right. Turn, same chapter, go down to verse 29. First Kings chapter 4, verse 29. It says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. How much is that? That's a lot, right? Verse 30, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men then Ethan and Ezrahite and Haman and Chalcol and Darda and the sons of Machal, and his fame was in all nations round about. Verse 32, and he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his, how many proverbs? 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. His songs were how many? A thousand and five. Is that more than one song? Okay, that's a lot, right? So, so one thousand. So now the song of Solomon is one. Say one. It's one of those one thousand five songs. It's one. Yes, I heard. I heard Selah. <laughs> This is a pause, like, wow, that's, that's a lot. That's awesome to even think about, okay? So let's, um, so here we are in the Song of Solomon tonight. 
looking at this song, now become a book, and looking at it from more than one's perspective, okay? So, let me, let me, help, you, let me help you. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this book of the Bible from number one, what it literally is, okay? Because it is um, viewed by, by theologians and by Bible history people in four different ways. Number one, literally. It's viewed literally, meaning what? What, what? what is the book of Song of Solomon all about? It's a celebration of the virtues of a quality male-female courtship and marriage relationship. It's celebrating the virtues of a quality male-female courtship and wedding and marriage relationship. And it, is, it has been determined that basically the belief is that this particular song was written by Solomon in his younger years. In his younger years. In what years? In his younger years. Okay? It's about, um, it's about a marriage God's way. It's about a marriage relationship where there's total commitment. There's a, it's about a marriage relationship where there's no shame, where there's no embarrassment, where there's no humiliation. And this book became controversial over the years because it was written to be very graphic. It was written to be very plain. It was written to be, no, don't make no mistake about what was intended. It was written for, for the development of quality marriage relationships, okay? Now, who would want all of us, all married people, to have a quality relationship? God, okay? So, so that, that aspect of it came from God because God wanted us to know what is a quality relationship supposed to look like. And there have been periods in, in throughout history when people would not read it. It's like, oh, it's too graphic. Oh, it's, it's too sexual. Oh, 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 oh it's, it's, it just puts it right on out there. Because, because the, 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 the man who becomes a husband is speaking very candidly, and the woman who becomes a wife, she's speaking very candidly. They're speaking very sexually about one another, to one another. Now, long years ago, that was, that was considered uncomfortable for a lot of people in the church, still is, still is for lots of people in the church. In this age we are right now in the world, <laughs> it's the theme of every song that's written. Many, many songs being written today are as graphic and more, as plain spoken and more. And now, however, it's not being written in a holy context. It's being written in a selfish context. Very selfish. What's in it for me? What you gonna do for me? And you gotta do this for me and do that for me and do it this way and do it, don't do it that way. And do it in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the middle of the night, whenever. That's the music of today. That's the music of today. So, when, but, so, 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 but, but why is this in the Bible? 
Why, why is this in the Bible? Is it, porn, is it pornographic? That is, is pornography in the Bible? No. So what's it in the Bible for? So it could be done correctly. So relationships could be developed correctly. So we could have understanding of what a marriage is supposed to be like, supposed to look like according to God's way. Okay? Because in the beginning, Adam and Eve knew each other as husband and wife, and they wore all, they put on their overcoats and their boots and galoshes and toboggans and all that. Didn't no. they, isn't that what they did? No, they were naked, and the Bible says naked and not ashamed. And so that's what the Song of Solomon, the Lord is trying to communicate yet again. In Genesis, he communicated, he established marriage between one man, one woman, and they were to be naked and not ashamed. Now, hundreds of years later, he says it again through Solomon, through this book, that marriage is between a one male, one female, naked, not ashamed. And in the context of your marriage, you can talk to each other however you choose in the intimacy of your relationship. Hmm. Everybody's looking, all right, all right, we're going on. <laughs> we're going on. So, in this book of Song of Solomon, at the beginning, it talks about courtship. Before, because going, before going into a marriage, the, there's a courtship that is supposed to transpire. And that's, what, and that's what's laid out in this book. Then there's a wedding, then there's a wedding night, and then there's a wedding life, a married life, a romantic married life. So that's the literal part of the understanding of the Book of Song of Solomon, okay? That's the literal. Let's go on to another view of what's going on in this Song of Solomon. The next thing is that uh, it's viewed as an allegory, meaning what? It, it's, telling the, it's telling the story of the relationship between God and his people. Because in the book of Song of Solomon, there's a lot of communicating of passion. A communicating of what? Passion. All right, so what is passion? Love. Love. What else is passion? Desire. Yes, what else is passion? Affection. What else is passion? Love. Love. What else? Feeling, emotion, okay? So, so, so what's the difference between feeling and passion? Are they the same thing? Passion is more intense, exactly right. Passion is intense. Passionate means what? I just said it. Intense. intense. And so, and so another way of looking at the Song of Solomon is it's communicating the passionate relationship that God has with his people. Now when it was written, people thought that it was, just, it was for the Jewish people. But it was not just for the Jewish people. It's for who? 
is for everyone. Meaning what? God has passionate love for who? For all of us. And so some people, when they read it, and when you read it more than once, you'll be able to see that what one of the things that's being communicated in addition to the natural physical love between a man and a woman is the passionate love of God for his people. That he will do anything for his people. When you read the Song of Solomon, you see that, that, that the bridegroom is willing to do anything for the bride. Another view of, of the Song of Solomon is that it's, it, it's symbolic of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church. Would you call that passionate? Yes. It's passionate if you lay down your life for somebody, isn't that right? You love them intensely if you're going to lay down your life. Did Jesus Christ lay his life down for us? Yes. So another view of the Song of Solomon is that it, that it, symbol, it symbolizes the relationship between the bridegroom, which for us is Christ, and the bride, which is the church, which is us. Okay, and it's communicating passionate love, deep care, putting the other person first, which is what Jesus did for us. And in this Song of Solomon, it's what the, the bridegroom does for the bride. Okay? All right. So there's the literal part of it. There's the alley where it's, it's telling about marriage relationship on a human level. There's an allegory for the love of God for his chosen people and us. It's a parable about the relationship between Christ and the church. And it's also considered a dramatic narrative, like a, a story, a play written about a real person, Solomon, and a real woman, the Shulamite woman. Probably when, when Solomon was a very young man. Do people change over time? Do you change from when you're young to when you're not young? <laughs> well, yes. So, so uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that and look at that. Uh, as we continue looking here at um, the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon was considered, was when you read it now, you, you read the sexual language, you hear the, the things that are graphically described, but some of the, the, some of the descriptions that are put in there, we don't relate to them very well because, because the, the, the groom is complimenting the bride and he's telling her that her hair looks like goat's hair and all this kind of stuff. And for us, that sounds like, what? That's not romantic at all. But remember when it was written. It was written when everybody was living in an agrarian society, in a farming society, okay? In, in, a, in a transient society. Nobody was living in, in condos and apartment houses and downtown Durham, North Carolina. So those analogies that are put in there and those references, they meant something to people back in that day, okay? So when you read it and you say, that don't sound romantic to me, talking about no goat's hair and sheep's wool and all this stuff. To them, it, it was significant, okay? And when we read it, uh, you can put your own, you can, you can think, okay, what was he trying to communicate? He was trying to communicate his heart. She was trying to communicate her heart with the words available to them at that time. Are you getting this? 
Okay, all right. So, let's go a little further. So people for years, uh, I, read, I read somewhere that uh, back in the day, uh, this, this particular book of the Bible was called PG-30. Uh, you know how these movies have these ratings now and, and it's PG-13 or whatever, you can't, because you, you gotta have all that. Well, I read somewhere where this, this particular book of the Bible was considered PG-30 because way back in the day, uh, after it was written, um, and at that time it was written, it was read mostly by what kind of people? Jewish people, right? Um, and when the Bible was first released to the rest of us, it was read, it was, uh, you could only, you were only allowed to read it if you were 30 years old and older. Because the, the thought was that young people could not comprehend or understand the depth of what it intends to communicate. They would read it like kids listen to music now. It's like, oh yeah, well that's what they say, that's why I'm doing that. <laughs> so, so there was a period in time when, when uh, this particular song of Solomon was, was considered PG-30. You couldn't read it. They didn't allow nobody to read it until they was 30 years old so that they could comprehend and then apply it righteously. Apply it how? Righteously. Apply it righteously. So, let's go now, well, before we go. If a marriage starts the way that it's laid out here in the Song of Solomon, would it be on a firm foundation? Would it be in a good place? If it starts with a beautiful courtship like it's talked about in here, would it be on a good foundation? Okay, if there was a, a, a righteous wedding, would that put it on a good foundation? Yes. If it, was, if it was a righteous wedding night, would that be on a firm foundation? Because this kind of foundation is not a selfish one. It's, a self, it's not a selfish one, it's a selfless one where each person is trying to be the best for the other trying to be the best for, not themselves, but for the other person. Who would want you to be the best for the other person? God. Who would want you to be the best for each other when you enter into a marriage? God. Because God is the ultimate family man. Isn't God the ultimate family man? Isn't God the ultimate father? Yes. Isn't God the ultimate husband? Yes. Isn't he the ultimate? Isn't he the passionate one? Isn't he all about the good of the other person? The good of you and yours and yours and yours? Isn't he, isn't he committed to you having the best? You being the best? Isn't he committed? That's his commitment. That's his passion. What does, it, what does it mean that God is passionate about you? What does that mean he's passionate about you? He loves, he loves how? Passion. Intensely. Intensely. Raise your hand if you love anybody intensely. 
other than yourself. <laughs> Intensely. Okay? Intensely. God is about passionate love for us, respect for us, appreciation for us. He's always doing what he can to communicate that and to protect us. Okay. Now. We said that this particular book of the Bible was probably, Solomon probably wrote it in his younger years. And one of the reasons why we say that he probably wrote it in his younger years was because in his later years, he went off the rails. <laughs> he went off the rails. And last time we talked a little bit about it because we, we, we considered how could somebody be as gifted and as talented, and as brilliant, and as powerful, and as rich, and as wealthy, and as healthy, needing nothing. How could somebody like that go off the rails? Yes. He was human. How many of you know a human that's gone off the rails? <laughs> How many of you are the human that went off the rails? And what is the Lord wanting us to see through this is that he can use no matter what. He can use you. He can use your gifts. He can use your talents. He can use who you are. And when you go off the rails, can he bring you back? Yeah. He's made provision to bring you back, to put you back in right standing with him and then use you again. All right. So how royally did, did, did Solomon go off the rails? How, how dramatically did he go off the rails? He went way off, <laughs> off the chain, right? Yeah. And stomped on the chain. I mean, it's just <laughs> all the way off. He just broke loose. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, I want us to see how that happened because I think that it's, it's, it's instructional for us all. So let's, let's, um, Let's look at 1 Kings again. Let me see here. 1 Kings. And let's go to... Hmm, chapter 10. Are you there? First Kings chapter 10. Verse 23 says, So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. I'm going to read it again. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth 
for riches and for wisdom. So who had more riches than Solomon? Nobody. Nobody. Who had more wisdom than Solomon? Nobody. Nobody. Verse 24, and all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Where did he get his wisdom from? God had put it in his heart. Okay. Now, let's say one more thing before we go too far away. Lord, keep me in order here. <laughs> Three and... Okay. Let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 3. I don't have my clock, so somebody need to help me with my time. 1 Kings chapter 3. Are you there? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. It says, and now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. Who's this talking? I'll read it again. You figure out who's talking. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. Who's talking? Solomon. You're exactly right. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Verse 10, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Okay, go down to verse 12. Behold, I have done according to thy works. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. This is God speaking to Solomon. So that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. So here's the Lord confirming to him the blessing that's on his life, the anointing that's on his life. All right? Go over to 1 Kings chapter 11. Are you there? Okay. 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not 
go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these people in love. So now think. When did Solomon write the Song of Solomon? Was it at this point in his life or earlier point in his life? An earlier point of his life. Now, here he is, 1 Kings chapter 11, saying that he loved many strange women. But when he wrote the Song of Solomon, how many women was he in love with then? He's talking about one. Something happened, right? Something happened. Something happened. The paradox of Solomon. Something happened. Meaning what? He became, number one, distracted. He became distracted and deviated from his call. He, did, he became distracted and did what? Deviated from his call. What was his call? What was he called to do? Who was he called to be? The king. Rich king. What, what else was he called to be? Godly. Just. A man of great what? Wisdom. His call was to walk in what? Wisdom. The greatest wisdom in all the earth. There's been none wiser before nor since. But he became distracted by who? Strange women. That's what it says right here, right? Okay. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So what's going on when, you're, when, when you move from wisdom to this madness? Huh? What's happening? Being taken captive. He, you're being taken captive. He's being taken captive. He's being distracted by something that we talked about last time. Hmm? Depression and vanity. What did we say about vanity last time? What is it? Taking too highly of yourself. Because who was higher than Solomon in that time? Nobody but God. Thinking too highly of yourself can lead to distraction. And here he is being distracted. Radically. Right? He's, he, he's, he's a, a wife collector now. He's a, he's a woman collector now. Was it his heritage to have more than one wife? No. No. The words, this word says he had 700. Which means you had a lot of money to take care of all them people, right? Yes. Okay. Distraction, deviated from his call. So is he, think, is he thinking wisely now? What happened to the wisdom? 
the wisdom then falling by the wayside, right? The flesh took over. The flesh took over. Vanity took over. Is he still smart? Is he still brilliant? Is he still gifted? Is he still talented? Is he acting like it? No. Distractions, pulling him away from his call. As he, at this time in his life, adversaries were coming against him. What are adversaries? Enemies. Enemies were coming against him. They were coming against his nation. His children were acting up. His kids was off the chain. Like their daddy was off the chain. Right? And so he's got adversaries. Now, now when, you, when you read in depth, you will see that, that even the adversaries, the Lord was working through the adversaries to try to pull him back in. To try to pull him, to get him back on track. But when you are off the chain, sometimes you miss the cue to say, come back. <laughs> Come back, you go, you way out there. Is he way out there? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> okay, the adversaries were coming against him and, and he didn't always know what to do. Meaning what, his wisdom gift was not on 10. What would have brought his wisdom gift back on 10? God. It would have brought his focus back. Right? Was he going to God in this time? Uh, uh, probably not. He had time. Because he was, number three, self-absorbed. That's vanity. Self-absorbed. Self-important. More of self. Less and less and less of his assignment. Number four, he had lost God's presence. He had lost God's presence. What should he have done when he realized the presence of God wasn't with him? Repent. Clean house. He had a lot of house cleaning he could have done, but he didn't. 